And now I want you to think of someone you know personally. Where do you see that they need healing, rescue, or restoration? Why don't you pray for them? And then finally, where is there a place, a uh, institution, a way of doing things, something that may have become systemic, just the way things are done, that you think needs rescue, healing, and restoration? Could be everything from a home to a country. Pray for that place. Well, Heavenly Father, you are the creative power of salvation, which is why we pray. May you bring salvation to these places and these people and to ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, it's Epiphany. So when my father was 84, his primary care doctor discovered a lump in his chest right about here. It turns out he had breast cancer. That's unusual for a man, but it happens. He was fortunate, though. It was not a large lump, but it was malignant and needed to be excised. So through a doctor friend of my brother's, we located a surgeon who specialized in this. Um, she was quite young. However, in her brief time as a doctor, the testimonies about her were extraordinary. So she radiated the tumor for several weeks. And then when it was small enough, she performed the surgery that removed it completely. We were fortunate. I remember going with him to the first post-op appointment with her to discuss the lab results from the surgery. And she told us the good news, that they'd gotten it all. And then she said something I will never forget to him. She turned to my dad and put her hand on his shoulder and smiling said, I healed you. Now, I think what was jarring about that um, was, I guess, how biblical that sounded. <laughs> I healed you. I don't think I was quite used to doctors talking that way. I think they say things like, you know, we, we got it all, or we managed to do this, right? They, they kind of use the first person plural, we, or... But she had said, I healed you. It sounded almost kind of divine, you know, almost supernatural. Um, but of course, she was right. I mean, uh, it was true, and it was wonderful. She had healed him. She had removed death from him, at least insofar as it was the tumor. She delivered him of sickness. She restored him to health. He would live another eight years till he was 92. And so when people asked us about it, we told people about her. We bore witness. We had witnessed something, and when people were in need, we told them about her. What our passages have in common today in Epiphany, the appearance of Jesus, the passages that deal with the appearance of Jesus, is that there's not just the Epiphany, the appearance of Jesus, but there is a telling that takes place in these passages. Jesus appears and people tell others about him. We, in our Christian linguistic subculture, would call it witnessing. They witness 
to others about Jesus. And this morning I want to talk a little bit about the vocation of being a witness. Now in the passage you just heard read from the gospel, the apostle John lets the lets John the Baptist speak or bear witness to Jesus and this is what he said. Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You know, I, I was studying this week and that just became one of the most striking sentences um, for me. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's like a little poem. It's like a little haiku. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I mean, I, I, I almost came to think this might be the most important sentence in all of Scripture. But then every time I read a passage of Scripture, I think there's another most important sentence. But behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Well, it's just beautiful. It's far-reaching. There's so much hope and truth and life in that one sentence. Now, but it's probably not something I'd scream through a megaphone in Exposition Park. However, there's just too many words that wouldn't make sense to people on their way to a USC game or a Rams game. Although I have heard this scream through a megaphone at Exposition Park quite recently. I mean, the first word that wouldn't make sense is the word behold, right? We don't, we don't use that word in common parlance anymore, behold, uh, which is too bad, actually. Um, of course, it, it's just a command. It means to look at something, to see something, to notice it. Uh, in Greek, it's the little word idu, idu. And it's the word from which we get idea. It is a kind of scene that brings with it an idea. So it's not just an ordinary sight that we behold when the word behold is used. It's something remarkable, it's an epiphany. That what we're looking at or being asked to look at with, but comes with some kind of revelation. I remember the, the first and only time I saw the David in Florence. I remember turning the corner in the museum, and there it was at the end of the hall. I didn't just see the David, I beheld it. <laughs> there was a difference. <laughs> there was something meaningful about it, and I can't even tell you what it was. It's just something that as you looked at, you thought, this is meaningful. I am beholding something that speaks something. Some of you who have been to the Grand Canyon, you didn't see the Grand Canyon. <laughs> you beheld the Grand Canyon. There is something important about this place, something I need to understand, something I need to add to my perspective of the world. Some of you, when you were fortunate enough to hold your children after they were born, you did not look at them, you beheld them you realized this was something meaningful that was going to change your life. You beheld them. So the command here, behold, is not just seeing, it is beholding. And I want to say that the first kind of vocation of a witness is to behold. The life of a witness is to simply, at the most fundamental level, to pay attention to something. Well, what are we supposed to behold when John presents us with Jesus? in this passage. Well, he tells us. He says, behold, the, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now again, this is not a phrase I would shout out through a megaphone in Exposition Park. Too many difficult words. 
I mean, for instance, they would have no context for the Lamb of God, most of them. I mean, maybe, maybe some recollection from Sunday school for most of them, but no, it's out of context completely for them. Ah, but for the Jews listening to John the Baptist, instantly recognizable, instantly. They would know instantly that John was referring to the Passover lamb from the Exodus, among other lambs. So the exodus from Egypt would, of course, in the memory of the Jews, be one of the most important events in their history. Enslaved by Pharaoh for a few hundred years, the Jews were delivered when God, who wrote a small part for Moses, used a series of curses to free them, one of which was the plague, would kill the firstborn sons of the Egyptians, and of course, the Jews were protected by taking the blood of a lamb and spreading it over the doorposts so that the plague would pass over them as part of the larger effort to bring rescue, healing, and restoration, freedom and wholeness to the Jews. In our Isaiah passage today, also written from a setting of exile, the prophet says this, You, servant, are to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept, but also to become a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. So the word used here, salvation, is what John is pointing to when he says, the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. The word is salvation. Now, you and I might be accustomed to thinking of salvation as salvation from our personal sins, allowing us to be with God forever through Christ's sacrifice, the lamb, so to speak, spread over the doorposts of our lives, and of course, that's true. But salvation in the scriptures would have been a much broader concept. You see, God's original intent for us when he created us was wholeness, well-being, and life. And salvation became necessary because obstacles appeared to this vision for us of wholeness, well-being, and life. Sin, evil, death, that came to temporarily block God's intent or get in the way of it. And so the sins of the world needed to be taken away. Salvation needed to come in our persons, in our social world, and even in the land. So if you ask Eugene Peterson, after translating all of Scripture, the best translation for the word salvation, he would have said, and he did say, healing. In most places, the best translation for the word salvation, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, is healing. And I think we could descend that, um, expand that to the deliverance, the restoration, and finally, the ushering into well-being. That was God's original intent. So we might expand John the Baptist's announcement to say, Behold the Lamb of God who delivers, restores, and takes away the sins of the world that we might experience wholeness and well-being and thank him for that. So the vocation of the witness is to pay attention first to Jesus. And for some of you here today, that may be your vocation right now in your life, to pay attention to Jesus. Some of you may be new to the faith or not even identify as a believer today, and you're welcome here. 
But the call for you today may be to pay attention to Jesus. You know, there is a kind of anti-institutionalism in our country, and we've been around for a while. Government, big business, and the church gets lopped in there as well. There's a mistrust of institutions, a belief that they're not really for our good. But when it comes to church, you know, people are still open to Jesus. And so we get to invite people, and I invite you today to behold Jesus. Maybe that's your vocation right now. To be recommitted to paying attention to him as the beginning point. But you know, kind of the second calling of the witness is we look around for areas that need salvation. See, the witness is not just seeing things. The witness starts to look for things. And just like I led you in prayer this morning, the witness develops this habit of looking for places and people where salvation is needed, where healing is needed, where rescue is needed, where wholeness is needed. You know, I've started walking back bay. Uh, I'm trying to get my 10,000 steps in. That's five miles for me. I try to do that most days, but most days I don't. So some days I do it. It takes me about an hour and 10 minutes. Um, I'm trying to get my time down. But one of the things I've started to notice are birds, because, you know, Back Bay, Upper Newport Bay is a, um, what do you call it? It's a estuary, yeah. It's a, re- it's a wildlife uh, reserve. And, um, and I've started to notice birds. And now I look for them. See, I, I, before I kind of saw them, but now I look for them. Um, the, the white egret, the American kestrel. I'm, I'm learning these things. The coots. They're cute. The coots. They have a cute name. And so I'm kind of, big, I'm kind of this budding bird watcher, yeah. And you know, that's not a bad analogy. Witnesses are kind of bird watchers for salvation. We, we walk around and now we look for where is salvation needed? Where is healing? Where is rescue? We kind of notice it. We start looking for it. And of course, it's not hard to look for many times. It's all around us, right? We know it intimately in our own lives. And I asked you to pray for yourself this morning. Where is healing and restoration and wholeness and well-being needed in your life? The scriptures call that salvation. Where is it needed in the lives of others? Where is it needed in places? Sometimes we feel it deeply. Your uh, psalmist this morning said, I waited patiently for the Lord, that he would incline and hear my cry. Well, the psalmist had been watching for salvation. There was some deep need for salvation, and he had to wait for it. He had to look for it. He watched for it. He was looking for salvation. And, you know, kind of the third movement in a witness would not only be looking for it, but sometimes groaning for it, attaching to it, engaging with the felt need for it in oneself and peoples around. I remember I was, I, I, last couple of years ago, went through a very difficult time in my family. And, uh, and I remember Pat Kaneen, some of you know her, she, uh, she was always praying for us, and, and many of you were Thank you. And, uh, and I remember one time she said, Todd, I'm, I'm praying for you. And then she quickly changed that. goes, actually, it's more like I'm, I'm groaning for you. 
<laughs> it's almost like words had kind of stopped kind of working in a sense in her vocabulary. It's kind of like, I just, I moved beyond words. I'm groaning for you. And, you know, that was meaningful for me. She was deeply engaged in the desire for salvation in our lives. Well, the witness does that. The witness looks at Jesus, develops kind of an eye for where salvation is needed, and then just opens themselves to the desire to see it come. You know, witnesses really don't do a ton of work. (laughs) We have other vocations that are a ton of work. Many of you are called to very active ministries where witnessing can take place. But the vocation of the witness, well, they just kind of show up. And they even look to see where God is working. I'm told, someone told me, that Jonathan Edwards, when he heard that kind of revival was breaking out, he'd get on his horse and he'd ride down there because he wanted to see what it looked like when the Spirit showed up and then tell other people. And so some of the witnesses of the vocation is just to draw near to salvation when they see it happening, to move toward people in need, to move toward and say, Lord, I don't know if I can bring this to this person, but I want to watch you bring it to this person. But then, of course, as we watch, sometimes we discover that God wants to use us like Moses just to do something, to participate. Prayer is often a beginning. Sometimes people call prayer incipient action, which means the beginning of action. As we pray, as we groan, we discover there might be a place for us to act. I think sometimes we don't step out into obedience in these areas because we feel like we need to make something happen. I think sometimes we don't witness to others because we feel like we need to make people lay down their lives for God. No, God still reserves that creative power for himself. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We just get to show up, and when we see it like a witness does, say, there it is, and to say something about it. And so... Basically, it seems like the vocation of the witness is to look for salvation, to move toward it where it might be happening, to be willing to be involved in it, and then to say something about it when they see it. Psalm 40, your psalmist says, I have not withheld from the congregation your righteousness. If you see it, say it. You know, my wife will sometimes will be going out and she'll get in the car. And this is just my wife, just so like her. She'll turn to me and say, do I look pretty? And I know the right answer. And I always say, yes, I was noticing that. And in fact, I usually had. I noticed a lot of things. I noticed the grass when she walks out, and that patch there. I noticed that she locked the door. And then I, I notice that she looks pretty. I just don't say anything about it, usually. Um, But the rule has become, if you think it, say it. If you see it, say it. So, now I know. If it just crosses my mind, I need to say it. You look pretty. Well, that's kind of the vocation of the witness. If you see salvation someplace, say it. In conversation, kind of just say, you know, it looked like the Lord did this in my life, or this in this person's life. That's really all a witness is. I think we get a little uptight 
We feel like we need to be really creative, super intentional, and, 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 and craft something as if it all depends on us, and there are virtues in that. And of course, if we witness often enough, we will find the vocabulary and the ways of saying it. I mean, I'm, I'm and now I'm off script here. Um, I was, uh, you know, I've been meeting with this fellow who, a Berkeley philosophy student, um, and he just, uh, he is, the Lord is moving him toward himself. I have a lot to say to him about who God is. I didn't know <laughs> that I would have this much to say. We've met three times for probably five hours. And it's been wonderful. And as I've been talking, I have found ways of telling him about who God is and what he does. But God is going to have to do the work of conversion. He is going to have to do it. So that's all. You and I are called merely to be and follow the vocation of witnesses. To behold Jesus to look for places where rescue, deliverance, and salvation are needed, to groan for it and pray for it, to offer ourselves where God seems to want to use us. And then when we notice it, just say something about it. Just tell people about it. That's the vocation of the witness. And we might find ourselves saying, like that young doctor, he healed me, or he healed us. He restored us. He brought us into a broad place. So in the time that follows here, just let your mind return to the word in this breath prayer. Turn our hearts to your word. Turn our hearts to you. Turn our hearts to your word. Turn our hearts to you.